Every life has a story. All week I was filling my mind with Advent and hope. And then uh, just yesterday I came across, came across that video and I thought, man, what, what, a, what a perfect illustration of hope. Because uh, as you would watch that video and it scanned from person to person, each one either had a, something they were celebrating or they had something that they were, that they were mourning. The one thing that each and every one of those uh, people had in common is that they were all hoping. They were all hoping for something different. The man who had lost his job was hoping for provision for his family. The woman who just got citizenship was hoping for a home. The mother of single, chil- uh, the single mother with children was, was just hoping for, for um, uh, to make ends meet for the provision, for protection. This couple with infertility were, were hoping for fruitfulness. The woman who lost a husband was hoping for peace and comfort. And we could go on and on and on, uh, but the commonality between all of them is they were all people uh, who were hoping. And in fact, I think if, if that video were, were run here and, and the video was scanning from face to face in here, I just wonder uh, what, what would be brought up next to your face? What statement would be made about you? And then, what would your hope be? The season of Advent, as we look forward to the coming uh, of the Christmas holiday, we focus on hope in the coming of Christ. Because as we look at people around the world, we all have our desires, we all have our story, uh, and we all put our hope in different things. Some people put their hope in a person, some people put their hope in a position. Uh, Some people put their hope in finances and security. But one of the things that we all know as Christians is that there's really just one true hope. And the one true hope that is given to every person is that of Christ Jesus. And as we read through the entire Bible, as we go through the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is just this, this, it's like a comet that's just shooting through the night sky that is just screaming, hope. And we see Christ written on every page. I think of like Genesis 3.15. Jesus is the offspring of woman who would crush the head of the serpent. We think, we think of Genesis 12. Uh, Jesus is the descendant of Abraham who is going to bless every nation, every tribe, every tongue. We go to, to 2 Samuel. Jesus is the heir, uh, the, the heir of David who is going to sit on eternal throne forever ruling in justice. We see in the prophets that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And we march through the Old Testament watching this this light of hope just streak through the Old Testament. We get to to the birth narratives in the gospel. And what we see is is hope putting on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And we know uh, as his children, as sons and daughters of God, that Christ is the only hope we have. But we live in a different time. We're not living in the Old Testament because Christ uh, has been realized. He's been born. He's lived his life. He lived it perfectly. He died on the cross. He rose again. Christ is reality that exists in the world. And so that hope has been realized. But here we are living after his death, living after his resurrection, living after his ascension, 
And we have to ask, where are we and what do we do? What do we put our hope in? And the answer is we put our hope in the return of Christ. Just as the people in the Old Testament put their hope in the coming of the Messiah, now we put our hope in the return of that same Messiah, of his eternal reign on this earth. So what we want to do uh, this evening is we want to take a, a second and ask a question, what does, what does Christian hope look like? And so we're going to be looking at the book of Romans chapter 13 to find out. If you, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles underneath every pew. Uh, if you're using one of those black Bibles under the pew, we're going to be on page 948. Page 948. And really, uh, Christian hope, it, it, it's a, it's a, looks like three different things in the passage we're going to read this, this evening. Christian hope means that we are waiting on God's timing. Christian hope means that we are uh, waiting on God's salvation. And Christian hope means that we are waiting righteously. So those are the three different points that we want to talk about this evening. Um, and, we're, and, and we're talking about hopeful waiting. Waiting as Christians between, between, the, between the comings of Christ. He came as a baby in the manger. He'll come again on the clouds one day. And here we are in the middle uh, in a, in a hopeful waiting for him to return. So let's go ahead and read uh, our text in the book of Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 11 and reading through 14. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is a word of God for the people of God written for the glory of God. So let's talk about this waiting on God's timing. What does it mean that we, are, that we have a hopeful waiting? It means, first of all, that we are waiting on God's timing. If you look at verse 11, we begin to see this timing uh, being referenced. It says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake. He's saying that, that we are to understand the time. Uh, later on, he says, we need to realize that salvation is nearer today than it was when we first believed, that the coming of Christ is, is closer today than whenever Christ ascended. And so we are to put our hope in that, know the time. One of the things I think we have to realize is, is that we are living our life on this earth in God's timing. As much as we hate that, as much as we would love for, for our lives to be our, our own timetable, as, lo- as much as we love to just have our life mapped out in, in Google Calendar and just schedule it all and, and have our perfect life, we have to realize that the timing we are living in is under God's timing. And we see that in the Bible, that, that, that God has ordered time and He has it in a specific way for a specific purpose. Even, 
Even the, the, the life and death of Christ was on a specific timetable. We can look at that in the book of Galatians 4.4 when Paul says this. He says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Then again, in Romans 5.8, Paul writes, For while we were sinners, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So it points to this picture that we serve a God and that the God of the universe is a God who has ordered time and has it, has it mapped out specifically. And what this does is it leads us to, to trust in his sovereignty. It reminded me of the story in Luke. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, there's a, there's a, Jesus was born. Uh, eight days had passed. Mary and Joseph were taking Jesus to the temple to dedicate him. And, and Luke chapter 2 tells the story of a guy named Simeon. And Simeon was a man, uh, and the Holy Spirit, God, had promised Simeon. He said, you will not die until you see the Christ. You will not die until you see the Christ. So a promise was given to Simeon, and he, and he believed it. And it says that he was a righteous man, he was a devout man, and he was waiting to see the Messiah. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it says, one day... Uh, on this day that Jesus was brought to the temple, the Spirit quickened him, and, 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 he, and he went to the temple, and he saw the baby Jesus. And he went to Mary and Joseph and took the baby Jesus in his arms, and he says, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people, Israel. What we have to realize is that Simeon was resting in God's timing. Jesus came in God's timing. It's not like the Holy Spirit said, hey, Simeon, uh, you're not going to die until Jesus, until you see the, until you see the Messiah. And, 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 and Simeon didn't pull out his day planner and said, all right, well, well, God, that would really work out great if you could do that on a Tuesday or Thursday because I have Pilates on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then if you could do it before noon, uh, because I like my naps. No, that's not what he did. He He didn't map out and have it all working in his own timing. He had to rest, and he had to wait on God's sovereign timing. And I think that's a lesson for us. I think we too, as the children, as sons and daughters of God, we have to wait on God's sovereign timing. And as we think about our lives, there are certain things that we want. Some of us might be single and we think, man, I really want to be married. I really want to have a spouse. And so we, we, we try to force it and make that happen on our own timetable. Some of you might want a baby and you want to be pregnant. You want to start your family. And you're saying, here's my window and this is my perfect timing. And you try to force that to happen. Some of you might be in a job transition or just a transition in life. And you're saying, this is my timetable and this is what I want to happen. And we try to, to force things to make things happen in our timetable. And what hopeful waiting means is that we are trusting in God's timetable, that we are resting in His presence and in His timing, His perfect timing. I know... Um, my, my, my dad was just one of the, 
was he, he is one of those very unique guys uh, who can fix anything and he can build anything. I think, I think that gene skips a generation. I, I didn't get that. Uh, but I just love working with him and see him to see him fix things. He can do anything. Uh, and I just remember one of the lessons he taught me as, as a kid. He said, Stephen, you always want to use you know, the right tool for the job, and you never want to force things, right? And so what, what I would tend to do is I use any tool that I can reach to do anything. Uh, a pair of pliers becomes a hammer, you know, paint scraper. I'm trying to use it as a, you know, screwdriver, you know, just whatever. But man, if you use the wrong tool for the job and, and if, you, if you try to force things, what you end up doing is you end up breaking things. So say I'm trying to, trying to lift something up a little bit and I got my shovel, which is designed for digging and I'm just trying to use it as a lever and I'm forcing it and I'm trying to force something to happen, what's going to happen? My handle's going to break. Whenever we try to to force things to fit inside our timetable, what we end up doing is we, we really end up, we end up messing up our lives. We say, I want a spouse. This person's breathing. I'm going to go after them. And we force it to work. You know, it might not be God's timing. So one of the things that, that the Advent season is telling us to do, and one of the things that hopeful waiting is about, is about resting in God's timetable. And saying, God, I'm going to trust you as the loving father in my life to order my life and to bring about things in your good and perfect timing. Not trying to rush things, not trying to force things, but resting in him. So we wait on God's perfect timing, but we are also waiting on God's salvation. If we look at the book of Romans chapter 13, Verses 11 and 12 again, he says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. What did he say we're waiting on? What, what, what are we hoping in? He says, salvation. Wake up, because salvation is near, it's at hand. As Christians, our hopeful waiting, what we're hoping for, is, is for, for the completion of salvation. And you might say, well, isn't that what Christ came for? Didn't Christ come to, to save sinners? Isn't that when we got salvation? And the answer is yes. You know, when Christ came and he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, he, he bore the weight of our sin, he died, he was resurrected, he ascended, uh, and we believe in him. That brings us into the family. When we, when we confess our sins and we believe in him and we pursue him, you know, we, we, we are justified by God. But the thing is, our salvation at that point in time is not complete because we are still struggling and we are still dealing with the sin that still lives in our lives. And what the Bible teaches us is that what we're supposed to do during this life, as we're supposed to, work, Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And one of the things that we're waiting for is that when Christ comes back, we will become like him perfectly. John writes about this in the book of 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He says this, Beloved, we are God's children now. When are we God's children? Well, right now, 
Right now, God has adopted us. Right now, we are God's children. And then he goes on and he says, And what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So what John is saying is that, man, when we, when we see Christ, all the sins that we've been fighting against, all the doubts and all the fears that have, have been beating us up our whole life, we feel like, man, when Christ comes and we see him, then our salvation is going to be completed. Some of you, man, you might have been dealing with the same sin for 30 years. You know it breaks the heart of God. You know that it is wicked and bad, and all you want to do is just get rid of it. You want to you be done with it. But for 30 years, for 40 years, and you just keep fighting the same sin. And this is the good news. The good news is you won't always have to fight that sin. The good news is that when Christ returns or we see him or we die and see him, then and that, that sin will be defeated and we will no longer deal with it and we will be made like Christ. Uh, it's, it's a promise of completion. And what we need to do is we need to hold on to that promise. And we need to, we need to, we need to strive in that promise. I can't help but think of Simeon whenever he received the promise that he wouldn't die uh, until Christ returned. What did that promise, you think, make him do? You think he said, oh, man, great. I, uh, I'm not going to die until I see Christ return. That means I think, I think I'm going to get involved in extreme sports. You know, I'm going to die until I see Christ, so I'm good. You know, maybe, you know, maybe I'm just going to sit back and chill out and just let life go by. Now, when, whenever Simeon got the promise of that he would not die until he saw Christ, it drove him to pursue God all the more. It says that he was a righteous man. It says that, that he, was, he was a devout man. So what this, this truth of this promise does for us is it encourages us to continue to fight the sin in our lives. Whatever sin that burdens you, that, that trips you up, whatever fears and doubts you have, Man, the encouragement of Scripture here is that we keep on fighting against it. That we keep on fighting against it. And because I hear, I think this is the truth. Um, when we fight in hope, when we fight knowing that one day we'll be like Christ perfectly, when we fight against our sin and our failures knowing that, that they don't have ultimate victory in our lives, it, it pushes us onward in the fight. And I know what our desire is. Our desire is to just take that sin that's, that's tripping us up and entangling us, and we just want to be gone with it. But the truth of the matter is, you become more and more like Christ the more you fight. That is God's sanctifying work in you. That is God making you more like his son. The more you fight against it, the more you resist it, the stronger you become, the more you look like Christ. Growth happens in the midst of the fight. I, I remember, I, I know I shared in, in sermons before, uh, two and a half years ago, when, when my wife and I lost uh, a baby in the womb at 34 weeks. Uh, man, we, we, we struggled and we fought for, 
for faith. Uh, man, we, we, felt like, we felt like God was blessing us. But we also had this realization that the next time we got pregnant and we were expecting again, we just knew we were going to be in for a, a, a very difficult nine months. Um, and then, of course, about 13 months ago, it happened. We, we got pregnant again. We were excited. We were praising God. But sure enough, uh, the fear that, that existed of, man, is it going to happen again, began to rise up. Uh, and so every morning when we woke up and we faced a new day, there was that fear there of, man, are we going to lose another one? And so we had to fight against that fear. We had to, we had to fight for, for faith to accept God's plan for our lives. Of saying, well, you know what? If he does take another one, are we still going to praise him? We had, we had to fight for that. Uh, and man, I, I have to be honest. Uh, well, that... Th- th- that fear doesn't leave. Uh, you know, our son is now over a year old, and I'm still worried for him. Uh, I'm still worried for my daughter, who's four. And, and man, you parents that got teenagers or grown children, I don't know how you do it. Uh, I, 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 I almost want to say, get back in the womb. I think you're safer there than, than outside. But, but it, it's the fight. It's fighting against that daily fear. It's fighting against that daily doubt that brings us closer to God. So if you, if you want to grow closer to Christ, if you want to have a more intimate relationship with Him, keep fighting the sin that you just can't seem to beat. God will use it to make you more like His Son. And ultimately, we have the promise of victory over that sin. So we are waiting on God's salvation. And finally, we are waiting righteously. We, we are waiting in God's timing. We're waiting on God's salvation. And we're also waiting righteously. Look at verses 12, 13, and 14. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and in jealousy, but put on on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And whenever I read this passage, I thought this passage could have been written today. Peter wrote this 2,000 years ago, but, but I thought, man, we, we are in the exact same spot as him. And what happens is as we are, as we are waiting for Christ, man, we're going to face temptation. As we're waiting for Christ to return, we're going, to, we're going to be facing temptations daily. And there are going to be temptations like these, temptations to, to, to be sexually immoral, temptations to, to uh, have addictions like drunkenness, temptations to, uh, to have broken relationships and quarreling, temptations to, to want what other people have and not be satisfied and to be jealous. We're going to be facing these temptations all the day long. And what, 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 what Christ is calling us to do He's saying, while you are waiting for my return, I want you to strive for righteousness. And he gives us two different ideas about how we, about how we fight for righteousness here. One of the things he says that we, we ought to do is we ought to, to do the things we ought to do. We are to, to pursue light and to do good in this, in this world. You know, Dave, last week... I, I, and I thought this was a beautiful, 
application that Dave used last week. He said, uh, he said each and every one of us need to have a bucket list. Uh, you know, describing the, I think we know what the bucket list is, right? The things that you want to do in your life before you die, your bucket list. Um, my, my brother actually had a, a bucket list with his wife before they had kids. They're like, once we have kids, we're not getting to do any of these things for the next 20 years. So let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and get those things done. But, uh, but Dave had this application of a bucket list. He said, what, what you need to do is, is have a specific way you want to serve God. Have a bucket list of the different things that you want to do for God and for his kingdom. And I, and I love that because it was so specific. Well, I think what we like to do is we like to be so general. What do you want to do for God? Well, I want to love God, and I want to love people. Well, that's great, but that, man, that's, that's awfully up here. That's awfully in the clouds. And when things are up here in the clouds, oftentimes they don't actually make it down here to the, the here and now and the every day. So what, what Dave was calling us to do in that, that bucket list of ways we want to serve God, he's saying, be, be specific. And I want to encourage you to, to, to have that conversation with yourself and with your family and with, with your community group and say, what are the different ways that we want to serve God? By myself and together as a family. Maybe it, man, this holiday season, we live in a very transient uh, community. A lot of people don't go home for the holidays. Maybe what God is calling you to do specifically is to open up your home to a lot of people that have no place to go on the holiday season. I was talking with Bobby Hoops this morning. He and his wife did that for Thanksgiving. He said, yeah, we got this small, tiny house, and we had 12 adults and untold number of kids in our house. It was crowded, and it was cramped, and it was great. Uh, but man, he, he's opening his home up in hospitality. It's a specific way that, that, that you can strive to be light in this world. Maybe, it's, maybe you want to share Christ um, we, we have, have another gentleman who's a dentist in the church, and he's like, man, I, I just like to pray with my patients. And that, that's his specific way that, 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 he is, that he is striving for God, praying with patients, praying with, praying with uh, his staff that he has with him. It's, it's a specific way. How specifically do you want to strive for God? How specifically do you want to, to bring light into this dark world? And don't, don't, don't keep it up here and say, I want to love God and love people. That's great. Do that. But how do you want to do it? Let's get specific with it. We need to be light in the world. We need to do the good we ought to do. But also, we also need to make sure that we're resisting the evil in this world. We're to wake up and realize that there's just a siren call all around us to, to fall for temptation around every corner, bidding us to, to leave our faith, to leave Christ, to accept the pleasures of this world. I don't know if you've read John Bunyan and the Pilgrim's Progress. It's this I guess, an allegory, a picture of a, of a man named Christian on his way to the kingdom of God, and he stops in this city called Vanity Fair. And this Vanity Fair city was, it was an old city, but it had all the same temptations that we have here today. And he had to flee from it. He had to, had to run away from that place, lest, lest it entrap him. One of the things that we have to make sure we're doing in this life is that we're fleeing from temptation, that we're fighting against sin, that we are not doing the things that we shouldn't do, that we're not being sexually immoral, that we're not, that we're not 
uh, caving into addictions, that we are not quarreling, that we're not jealous, that we're not uh, living a, a, a life full of um, a passion and sensuality of selfishness. We have to make sure we're not doing that. We have to fight against that while we're waiting on Christ's return. He tells us in verse 14 how we ought to fight that fight. He gives us, he gives us the offensive plays and he gives us the defensive plays. The offensive plays, when you read it in verse 14, what are we to do to, to fight off the temptation of this world? We are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Offensively, what do we do? And we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we are living in his word. We are trusting in his righteousness. We are hoping in his return. And, and all of our life is, is, is directed at Christ. Man, are, are, is your life directed at Christ? Are you following Christ with all that you have? So, well, man, I, I go to church on Sunday. Well, that, that's, that's great for Sunday. But what about Monday through Saturday? What are you doing there uh, to, to, to giving your life to Christ and pursuing him? So he said we are, to, we are to put on Christ. And then he also gives us the defensive. What are we to do? We are to make no provision for the flesh. Man, what, what we oftentimes do is when we have a temptation that we're, we fight, sometimes what we do is we, we, we just kind of feed that temptation. We, we just kind of we, we, we play with that temptation. We just, we just give it a little bit. I, I, I'll just give that temptation a little bit, but then I'll stop and no more. And, and we feed the temptations in our life. We feed the sin in our life. And what we do, we're, we're basically we're, we're raising up a monster within us that, that's going to beat us down. So Christ... Uh, and Paul is, is calling us here and saying, make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision to, to satisfy its desires. Really, this, this putting on Christ and, and, and not providing anything for the flesh, it's, it's two sides of the same coin. And what it's really asking is this, uh, is what is the trajectory of your life? So in your life right now, if you were to, to you might say, man, I'm doing pretty good but I have this trajectory. If you were to follow that trajectory down the years, where, where would you be? Would you be in that trajectory just, just defeated by your sin if you continue life in the way that you're going? Or do you have this trajectory where you're putting on Christ and trying to starve out the flesh? And it might be hard here, but you have this slight little, light, slight little trajectory. And if you follow that trajectory, where would you be? Would you be closer to God or further away from him? What Paul is calling us to do is he's saying, have the trajectory where you are pursuing Christ with your life. If you're pursuing Christ with all you are and all you have, then you're not going to make provision for the flesh, and you're not, you're not going to be defeated by it here on this earth. He is calling us, while we are waiting for Christ's return, to be righteous while we wait, to strive for righteousness. Uh, and one day, our Christ will come back. And that striving will cease because we'll see him as he is and we'll become like him. I think, um, I think there's some parallels can be, rated, can be drawn between a hopeful waiting and, and the holiday season. What is hopeful waiting about? Um, and I said, it's, it's like preparing for the holidays. Some of us, man, we, we don't have family over that often. It might be that they live far away. Uh, it might be that we don't have a great relationship with them. 
But we don't have family over that often. But oftentimes on the holidays are the few days a year that we do meet with family. Or you might have friends coming over. So what do you do? You, you prepare your house. You clean like you normally don't clean. When I mop the floor, I mop the floor where I drop something on the floor. But when the holidays come, man, you mop the whole floor. I don't, I don't oftentimes get my stepladder and clean the dust off the edges of my fan. But man, if it's the holidays, I'm climbing that ladder and I'm, I'm getting my little Swiffer and I'm cleaning the fans because I want it to look good. I want it to be prepared. I might typically eat Chick-fil-A. Obviously, I showed a video of it like three days a week. But man, on that holiday, I'm, I'm in the kitchen with my wife and I'm making pie crust from scratch and I am baking a turkey and I, you know, I'm, I'm pouring my life into it. What am I doing? I am making preparations for my guests. What is hopeful waiting for Christ? Hopeful waiting for Christ is making preparations for our God's return. That's what hopeful waiting is. We are preparing our hearts, our minds, our life. We are preparing our community of faith. We are preparing our city for the return of Christ. Because we're not just inviting a friend over. We're inviting, we're not inviting at all. Our God is coming back to take what is his. And we want to be ready for that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Man, we thank you that Christ came in the flesh 2,000 years ago. We thank you, Lord, for all he has done for us. We thank you that he is at the right hand of the Father uh, interceding for us. We thank you, Lord, that we are called his sons and daughters. But Father, while we wait for him and his return, I pray, Lord, that we wait and hope, that we trust in his timing, that we hope and the salvation being completed, and that, Father, that we're striving for righteousness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.